Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbard. And I'm Devin Saylor. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, we're taking a pause from our Bad Appreciation Month and we're talking about eco-news this week. Uh, so let's get started. Um, I found an article and it's related to plastic pollution. I think... Um, Plastic pollution is a real problem in the world. Absolutely. Um, so I got some numbers here for you. Everybody knows about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You know, that mm-hmm. that's the patch of garbage just floating out in the Pacific Ocean, kind of the size of some islands, and it's mammoth. But I found some stats that relate to us well. Um, so somewhere around 150 pounds of plastic per person per year are created. Um so if you think about that in terms of like, let's say you live to the age of 78, um, then you've created 11,700 pounds in your lifetime of plastic. That's crazy. And so like times that by, you know, 7 million people, it's so much plastic in this world. And we just keep using more and more every day. So, you know, we never think in terms of that. We just grab our item off the shelf and we use it and then throw it away and it goes to the dump so i think we need to address that habit maybe first but um while we're thinking about how we can curb our use of plastic we're also thinking about ways to get rid of the plastic that's already here um and so that's where my story comes in and so this article is actually it found um well i'll pause right there and i'll say that sometimes just through observation you can find ways of solving problems Mm -hmm. and and that's the case in this article um so there's a species of waxworm it turns out may be able to help manage our plastic waste problem Um, and so scientists have found that waxworms can naturally degrade plastic with the help of their saliva fun (laughs) caterpillar spit um, it actually contains special enzymes that quickly oxidize and depolymerize the polyethylene, which is a main constituent of the plastic. Um, plastic waste otherwise is really, it's really hard and difficult to break down. Um, so they usually use like heat or radiation, uh, but the wax worms require neither. Uh, so that's pretty cool. So the reaction happens actually within a few hours and at room temperature. That's awesome. Um, and so then I guess the next question is like, how do you get enough <laughs> waxworm spit? Um, that's, that's not the real idea here. The real idea is so they study the waxworm saliva and figure out a way to synthesize that, you know, in the laboratory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're not going to milk a bunch of waxworms. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's cool, you know, through observation, what happened was, um, so the researcher has bees and, um, in the process of winterizing the bees, um, taking out some of the wax and the bees out of her beehives, she had noticed that the wax worms were on, uh, the comb. And so she had separated the comb out and put it in bags along with the wax worms came back in the room after cleaning and all the waxworms were in the room spread out all over the place and hmm. she's like 
how this happened. They must have eaten through the plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. So it's kind of an aha moment for her. And um, that's what made her research, you know, the, the whole process and what they did to plastic. So it's relatively, you know, a new idea. Um, it's just been discovered not too long ago. So um, haven't really made much more progress in terms of research. They did find that um, it, the waxworm saliva actually breaks it down into the smaller polymers. Uh, they're not sure whether that's biodegradable or not. You know, time will tell. Mm-hmm. But it's, at least it's a path forward, positive yeah. path forward. Absolutely. Um, and they're always looking for other means of you know, digesting that plastic pollution as well. So yeah. I thought that was a cool story. That is really cool. Hopefully we yeah. can get some of the plastic waste off the earth here. Yeah. All right, so I'll turn it over to you. What you, would you find for an article? All right, so I am actually going to tie it back to our bat month here a little bit. Um, I did find an article about how a common insecticide that's used might actually be impairing the navigation skills in the big brown bats. Um, so some researchers found that um, like an in- a common insecticide that a lot of farmers were using that was on their crops and everything that the bats going down getting the bugs off the crops they started ingesting it and they started noticing it might have some neurological impacts Uh, this insecticide has actually been banned in european union in early 2020 on use of any food crops but any like regular crops like grass or trees are allowed to use they're still allowed to use it so it's still affecting bats a little bit but they noticed lab in canada actually took some bats and were feeding them some mealworms so they let them in a box they gave them two paths to choose one had a cover that they were rewarded with that they knew was good and the other side didn't so they let them find the cover know that that's where they were supposed to go and then they started feeding the half of the bats mealworms that were injected with this insecticide and vegetable oil for seven days to mimic the pesticide that they would get from eating the bugs off the crops and the other half they just got mealworms with just the vegetable oil in them and then they let them back in to see if they could remember the path back to the shelter oh so what happened so only um they were actually able to find the path back less than half the time than before yeah so severe neurological issues yeah after it was chemical was consumed yeah and obviously i mean only seven days that's not much to be ingesting over a lifespan but for bats a normal lifespan they're out eating these bugs every day so Mm -hmm. it's a matter of do they become kind of immune to it after a certain point of time or is it actually going to start causing issues in the bats yeah it sounds like severe issues right from the get-go yeah so they're they're doing some research now to try and figure out other insecticides and pesticides that are out there that hopefully won't cause these neurological issues and hopefully this insecticide gets banned more worldwide so it doesn't come back and start maybe affecting us in such a negative way as well yeah i mean if you're applying it to food yeah that could be an issue reading that food too so yeah um not good uh sometimes unfortunately you know the the news stories that we do bring to the table you know they're not positive ones Mm -hmm. but it kind of sheds a light on the issues Mm -hmm. going on around the world all right so i'll move on to the to my next article Uh, and this one is closer to us right here in pennsylvania 
and um, is recently announced that aquatic alpha predator is being reintroduced to the Ohio River. Hmm. Sounds kind of dramatic, <laughs> like we're reintroducing some type of shark or something, but that's not the case. Um, so for the first time in more than 100 years, an alpha predator of North America rivers is swimming in the waters off of Pittsburgh. And um, it's the blue catfish. I never heard of a blue catfish before. Um, so Pennsylvania is actually attempting to reintroduce the blue catfish to its, its historic range. And that's throughout the Ohio River system. Uh, so the Fish and Boat Commission stocked 13,000 fingerling blue catfish right there in the Ohio River. Um, and so the Fish and Boat Blue Catfish Management Plan actually suggests that any fingerlings that survive eight years, they're expected to grow to 65 pounds. So that's a pretty good sized fish. Yeah, it's huge. Actually, down south where there's longer growing seasons, uh, mm -hmm. they mentioned that blue catfish actually top 100 pounds. Oh. So, um, and the angling world record is 130 pounds. So that's wow. A, pretty big fish swimming right in the Ohio River. Yeah. Um, it was extirpated from the regional waters due to industrial pollution, so go figure. Um, but that means that the, the water is getting cleaner because they're coming back. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, um, West Virginia has been doing the stocking program for a while, and um, fishermen were starting to catch these blue catfish in the river before Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission even started their stocking program. Wow. That means that the water is cleaner and the fish are surviving and uh, moving up the river system. So That's awesome. Good news. I do mention that the blue catfish are not native to the rivers east of the Appalachian Mountains. So it means don't carry a blue catfish from Ohio River to Susquehanna River because um, it's considered invasive in the Susquehanna River Basin. Okay. So that wreak havoc. But that's typical of pretty much anything. You don't want to mm -hmm. move fish yeah. uh, or the water that they're swimming in. So, uh, But I thought that was a cool story. That is really cool. Cleaner waters. Yep. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's good news for waters and for people who drink them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what you got for your final story? Um, so my story kind of shows that we're not the only ones being affected by like a tree species kind of dying out here. So I found that um, out in the UK, they're actually having an issue with their ash dying too. And it's not from the emerald ash borer like we're experiencing here. So it's something completely different, which I thought was cool. Okay. So, so what's going on over there? So it's actually a fungus that is getting in the tree and just killing it over time. Kind of similar to the process of what's happening with the emerald ash borer the process but um they are noticing that it's been over a decade and they're finally just starting to see the effects of it so it is a little bit slower than how the emerald ash borer has kind of taken over but they are seeing that five percent of the nation's ash trees will actually survive mm. so they're hoping for some survival rate out of this but much it looks like um but they are dying and leaving the big decaying trunks like around here and they're having the same issues that we're having where the, a lot of them are in areas like recreation areas along paths and parking lots everything like we have so they're afraid that they're going to start coming down on people injuring people so they're also starting to try and clear them out like we are so yeah they do become brittle you know? yeah 
right off the get-go. Mm-hmm. Also tying back a little bit to bats, surprisingly. Um, that just like around here, the ash trees are good homes for bats. So they are having to keep an eye on that when they are taking down the trees, making sure there's no bat homes, no bat nests, anything like that in the trees before they're taken down because the bats over there are a protected species. So anything that involves the bats, including nests, anything like that is also protected. So they can't just go cut down a tree if there's a bat in it. So yeah. they're thinking it's going to be an even bigger impact than their Dutch elm disease. So it is crazy. We're not the only ones being affected by tree dieback, especially the ash tree. Did the article say uh, where they thought the fungus came from? It didn't exactly say, but they said it just it did appear in the UK about a decade ago. So. Okay, so they've been dealing with it for a little while. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. It's sad to see, like, looks like our ash trees almost worldwide are getting affected and might be just losing them. All right, uh, we do have an event today that I'd like to mention. Um, it's out at Salt Springs, and it's a bird feeding event. So it's this coming Saturday from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Um, and they mentioned that autumn is a perfect time to prepare your yard for winter bird feeding. So join them at the Wheaton House for a presentation on attracting winter birds to your property. Uh, Evan Mann will address the species that we can expect, how to make good choices when buying seed, and describe a variety of feeders available. So Evan spent 30 years working in wild bird feed industry and offers a unique perspective on the subject. Uh, he's an avid local birder who served as president of the National Bird Feeding Society and Pennsylvania Society for Ornithology. Um, so again, uh, the event is this Saturday at 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. and the cost is a free will donation. Sounds like a cool event. Yeah. Well, I guess that does it for today's show. If you have any questions about today's show, you can give us a call at 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and you can find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions or make comments about the show. You can even suggest ideas for future shows. You've been listening to Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Saylor. And I'm Don Hibbard saying enjoy the outdoors.